0: you're listening to the south stands a buckeye football podcast by ohio state fans for ohio state fans on apple podcasts youtube spotify and soundcloud welcome back to the south stands everyone from san francisco i'm your host zach moore today is sunday september 20th and i am very happy to be joined by fellow south stands contributor my good buddy. Tim Gallagher from Connecticut. Mr. Gallagher, how are you today?
1: Doing well. Doing well, Buckeye. Football's back on,
0: so I'm feeling good. (laughs) All right. Good to be with you, man. Good to be with you. Thanks for making the time. So this past Wednesday, as you've referenced, first-year Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren emerged battered and bruised, but still in one piece from a 36-day media hailstorm, bearing a freshly minted return-to-play plan for football in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic. On a Zoom call with reporters aired by the Big Ten Network on Wednesday morning, Warren and five representatives of his Return to Competition Task Force unveiled an 8 plus 1 schedule beginning October 24th and ending with what Barry Alvarez, the chair of the Task Force Scheduling Subcommittee, referred to as Champions Week. That's December 18th and 19th. Now, that final weekend of Big Ten play will feature a title game, of course, between the East and West Division champions as well as crossover matchups between the teams finishing second through seventh in each division. So, for example, second-place team in the East will play the second-place team in the West, third-place in the East plays the third-place in the West, and so on and so forth. The Big Ten champion, assuming it's done enough to impress the college football playoff committee, of course, we're hoping that's going to be Ohio State, will have just under two weeks to prepare for a national semifinal game on January 1st. Now, we also know what Ohio State's revised schedule is going to look like. That was revealed yesterday, Saturday on Fox's Big Noon Kick pregame show. We're going to get into that in a minute. But I will say, a little preview, if you like cupcakes and you're a Buckeye fan, you're going to love this new schedule. Okay, so Tim, before we get into all that stuff, when last we spoke on August 12th, this was the day after the Big Ten's announcement to postpone fall sports, you and I were in lockstep. You and I both felt that the Big Ten had made the right call. So my first question to you is, since that day, the 12th, and between the 12th and the announcement this past Wednesday, did you find your feelings uh, over the decision changing at all? Did, did you find you, yourself maybe thinking the Big Ten should have you know responded differently?
1: So it's a really interesting question um, because if you think back, you know, my, my point back then was, and still is, that, Universities are not in the business of assessing risk with people's lives. Mm-hmm. And to me, that made perfect sense then why they decided to cancel the season. Um, and And I still think that that's the case. And so for me, what must have happened is that the you know the the, the big ten, the presidents and then the medical board and the other and the other people involved in this decision uh, must have Uh, come to a conclusion uh, over the course of, you know, the last, whatever, you know, month plus, that uh, whether it's via testing, whether it is what they've seen in practices, what they've seen in some games that have happened so far, there must be enough evidence out there that they now believe that they can conduct games uh, in a a safe manner. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have that confidence a month ago. And so I think that that if that's the case, then I think, Uh, I think it's totally fair. And I think it must be um, because I also just don't believe that some of these presidents um, are going to take the risk, regardless of sort of how much pressure there is to play football. So I don't know what the evidence is, but I'm my assumption. And it may be wrong, but my assumption is, is that the presidents have been presented with evidence that convinced them to change their mind. And they were presented with evidence that they believe uh, reduces the risk down to a point of where, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not putting kids' lives at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, I think that's the change that, that must have gone on over the last month. Now, I'll give full credit to Paige, who said this from the beginning, which is, you know, in retrospect, do I look back on it and think, uh eh, maybe canceling the season in August was, uh a bit of an overstep and why cancel it why not just postpone right um why not you know punt until you, you get more information and you do more work and you actually see what's happening um, and i do i do agree with that now in retrospect i think that the big 10 may have just gone a little bit too far and would they would have been better served to just say hey we're not comfortable right now so we're going to postpone um and you can continue to postpone until there's no season Um, so canceling, it seemed to be, uh, at this point a bit harsh. And obviously the backlash was pretty big (laughs) by a lot of different people. Yes, it was. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I think that's the only thing that I, you know, sort of, when I look back on maybe question as to what could have been done, what could have been done better at Mm -hmm. that point in time.
0: That makes sense. And if you're in that camp, our our good buddy pages camp that, that the big 10 could have waited kick the can down the road, as they say. That's a reasonable, a reasonable position to take, in my opinion. I believe it was also uh, our good friend, Paige, who said he was still holding out hope, even then, that there would be football in the fall. I think he said he was the last guy standing at the bar, waiting for the lights to go off. And, and it turns out he was somewhat prophetic with that statement as well. So I'll give Paige credit there as well. Well, the linchpin of this plan, and you had referenced a new comfort level that the presidents have with this plan. The linchpin, of course, is the advent of rapid daily testing, which started to emerge in around late August. There were several rapid daily testing options that began to emerge. If you look at some of these, as we turn our focus now to to the actual plan, two things that stood out to me when the plan was announced, the shutdown thresholds, as I call them. The first is, a mere 5% team infection rate will trigger a one-week pause in team activities. And then the second, any player testing positive will not be cleared to return for at least 21 days. Those are very punitive, I guess, for lack of a better word, shutdown thresholds. And I think what the Big Ten has done there, and tell me if you agree with this, I think the Big Ten has said, hey, look, we'll go along with this. We're, we're going to we're going to give this another go, but they are putting the onus on these programs and on the players individually for strictly adhering to these protocols. There's zero margin for error here, zero margin for carelessness. Like for example, what we've seen at LSU or Texas Tech, where, the, where they've, they've done absolutely nothing to mitigate the transmission of the virus. And basically both teams, the entire rosters have already been infected. I, don't, I think the Big Ten is clearly not comfortable with that sort of thing. I think the threshold for them, the goal for them is still mitigating transmission as few people as possible. They're not comfortable, in other words, with kids getting infected. Even though, as we know, there's a very low risk of serious medical complications in many, many cases with these young men. To me, the Big Ten is still saying, we're going to give this a go, but we don't want people getting infected. What do you think of that?
1: yeah, I agree with that. I think that that's right. I think there's a couple other things at play too. I think one is if you're the big ten and you're gonna, for lack of a better term, flip flop here and go from season canceled to okay, we're gonna open back up again. I think you I think you have to put something out like this. Right. I think you have to say that we're going to take a very conservative approach to uh, what we're going to allow. Um, And that makes sense. Um, And and uh, and so I don't that that didn't surprise me. What I also believe about this topic, though, is I believe that over time the standard can change and may very well change Hmm. Um, as they get more comfortable. Let's fingers crossed with uh, teams playing and hopefully the statistics are good and, and transmission rates are zero or close to zero and kids aren't getting Affected by it, uh, I think that you could see them, you know, potentially relax that, you know, later in the season as yeah. you're getting closer to uh, to the end. I mean, right. it's still it's a moving target, right? The Big Ten has the standard, and other conferences don't, and um, you know they could adjust it uh, over time. Because I do agree with you, five percent and and anybody testing positive sitting out for three weeks, well, that's half the season at this point. So, <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, th- those are low bars for sure
0: yeah i I was also what also stood out to me was the and I was actually happy to see this and again, this could be something that could be relaxed as the season goes along, but no fans allowed at games and i, I, I with that measure, I think the Big Ten has also taken widespread community transmission into account by in my opinion, wisely choosing not to sponsor super spreader events at its stadiums this fall, unlike the SEC, right? Who's going to attempt to bring up to upwards of twenty to 25,000 fans together on their campuses for, for games and, and, and on campuses, by the way, where transmission is already very high. Again, this could be a standard that could be relaxed, but I thought the Big Ten is doing the responsible thing with respect to community transmission, not just student-athlete transmission. What were your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's wise to start off with no fans in the stadium, although I think it's going to be super interesting I and mean, I know that they're not allowing tailgating outside either, but right. like okay, fine, off of the actual stadium grounds. <laughs> like just think about it at Ohio State. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have the Varsity Club packed, the Blackwell's going to be packed. All the tailgates that go on not on the grounds mm-hmm. of uh, you know, of the stadium are going to continue to happen. <laughs> so, uh <laughs> I, I don't know that you're going to have much luck not getting people together, but look, you'll be outside and it'll be, uh you know, the chance for transmission will certainly be less. Um, But I do think, I do think it makes sense. I mean, and, and, you know, in theory, I also think it makes sense to have, 20 or 25,000 people at a stadium as the size of Ohio state. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the problem is just getting in and out. Right. Right. Like you can spread people out among, you know, around the stadium and have it be perfectly fine. And you're not, you know, within 10 rows of somebody, but you know, when it's time to leave, you're all going through the same entrances and exits. And um, you know, that that's a little bit more challenging to control. You can tell people you got to wear a mask when you're, when you're coming and going, but right. Um, you know it's it's a little bit it's a little bit harder to control that and so therefore again i think it's perfectly acceptable to you know, let's play a few games let's see how it goes let's see how this is all going and if things are looking up then you know we can we can adjust
0: yeah that makes sense to me as well i i did have some you know you you had, you had mentioned gathering outside of the campus's jurisdiction where they where they can enforce people you know not gathering in large groups but as you say ohio state columbus it's a big city what's to stop folks from gathering in mass at private residences bars restaurants that sort of thing i think ohio state has has taken some responsibility on itself to try and mitigate those kinds of gatherings to the extent it possibly can by not allowing fans to gather in its stadiums there's less of a chance that happens if you're not inviting 25,000 fans inside your stadium although You know, again, people are going to gather at watch parties and things like that to watch it on TV. So, uh, well, then then the other factor too is like, look, let's face it. You and I very well know, having been overserved at many Ohio State games ourselves, when people start drinking, they're just there's a certain percentage of folks that just aren't going to follow the rules. My question is, if they if they were to allow twenty to twenty five thousand fans in the stadium. The, the ushers, the folks that usually are helping people to their seats. I mean, those, if if I'm not mistaken, those are like retirees, folks volunteering their time. They're not, in other words, like security. But if you're going to have that many fans in the stands, I think you've got to have some muscle in the stands to enforce people, especially people who've been drinking, you know, to keep from gathering in, in, in clusters and groups and in it, in any case, I, I I do think, yeah, it's it's good. They're starting out with no fans. Let's see how it goes. Maybe this is something that can also be relaxed as the season goes
1: along, and, and yeah, and by the way, you're one hundred percent right. The people taking your ticket uh, at the entranceway, the people who are kind of standing around, helping you find your seat and things like that are, you know generally, yeah, retirees and people who are just you know wanting to be around the game and and pitching in and helping. Um, they're, they're definitely not, uh, security and, and not the right people to, you know, sort of be monitoring that like, okay, you know, in the South stands, let's say if a bunch of kids are <laughs> spread out, but, you know, over the course of a game, all of a sudden there's a cluster of them together and, uh, you know, half of them don't have masks on. How do you patrol that? Uh, right. and that, 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 that definitely is needed if you're going to try and let 25 people, 25,000 people. in. Yeah.
0: And we've already seen it, right? We saw it last week at the Florida state game. Where there were large clusters of people gathered, you know together, not wearing masks and you know drinking and and that sort of thing. So well, well, good. All right. well, look, I, I'm perfectly happy with these games being televised. The other thought I had is with no crowd in the stands, how could Fox, for instance, enhance its television coverage? Maybe you can bring in extra cameras. Angles we're not able to see typically because there're you know, there are fans in the stands. Maybe that'll allow the television coverage of these games to be enhanced in a way that could make it really enjoyable.
1: That's an interesting idea. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, you know, you all of a sudden now you can be in a lot more places right. uh, with cameras and, and other things. But yeah, that would be, that would certainly be an advantage if you could do it.
0: Let me ask you this. Were there any other factors in your opinion that changed the course uh, of this decision that, that that forced them to, as you say, flip flop, and what what do you think those were?
1: You know, there's been a lot of speculation about you know the media pressure and the parents' uh, pressure that they were applying who wanted their kids to play, and I I, I just don't know that I buy that. I right. really don't. Um, you know, so I think I read something too about how you know the president of the University of Michigan, who I think was somebody who was pretty staunchly against playing, just You know couldn't he had so many fires on calder fires going on on campus and he was distracted and focused on those things and then people were pushing back on football that he just sort of acquiesced to to the pressure and i just don't know that i buy that right um i i I truly think that and we don't know because we weren't in the room but i truly think that it came down to uh you know the, the medical staff uh going over new protocols and new information and presented it in such a way that uh, it became, you know, it became. I don't want to say worth it because that's not it, but it became doable. Right. Um, it became that you know the the risk equation shifted to where it's like, okay, we can at least give this a shot and see what happens. Um, and and we feel good that you know we've got enough uh, triggers. Uh, to close it down if things go sideways, without you know doing kids undue harm. Right. That I think fundamentally that is at the core of of the decision. I would agree with that.
0: The Justin Fields petition was a nice story because I think that's a young man who's starting to find his voice and emerge as a leader. I thought that was a nice story, but I didn't think a petition was going to change anything. I didn't think uh, the grousing from fan sites and and angry fans on Twitter was gonna was gonna have any real impact. I didn't think the parent player protests at the empty Big Ten offices was gonna have much of an impact I, at all. I I don't think that's the the type of thing that changes the minds of universities, chancellors, and presidents that are faced with such a serious, grave decision. Right, that impacts so many lives, and it also involves a lot of money. I I agree with you. I felt like it was things like the advent of rapid daily testing, greater comfort, more information around the myocarditis condition. They definitely reached a comfort level on that sort of thing. There's this coalition now of Ohio State and Nebraska <laughs> fans on Twitter, uh, you know, this partnership because they're, they're crediting Nebraska with that player lawsuit as, as having had an impact here, which I, I just don't buy. I know it was a, that forced the big 10 to reveal some documents, re- revealed the vote, but in the end, I didn't really think that that suit had much merit. And it really was kind of the new medical information that the uh, presidents and chancellors were operating with that really made the difference.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree with all that. I think I think the last thing I would say on that topic is, you know, I think I I think that the criticism that Kevin Warren has gotten, I think some of it is fair and some of it is unfair. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you're going to make a decision of this magnitude, I I think you got to I think you got to at least uh, come out afterwards and stand there and answer questions. I agree. Um, And and. You know, like, like I'm, I'm not one who believes that uh, the public gets to know everything. I'm with uh, you. And so what goes on behind behind closed doors goes on behind closed doors. And the people that have been put uh, you know, in the power to make those decisions, get to make them without having the press and the media and, you know, the fans and everybody else, the parents all over them while they're making the decision. Mm-hmm. But I think that once you make a decision of this magnitude you gotta come out and 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 face the music and talk about it and again it's up to it's up to you what you ultimately say and don't say, and how disclosive you are as to the deliberating that went on and how the decision was made and all that but but I think you gotta you gotta get out there and talk to people, and I think to me that was the real mistake mm-hmm. um was it wasn't the decision. Uh, it wasn't however they came to their original decision. Uh, it wasn't any of that. Um, again, I think in retrospect, you could play an armchair quarterback and say they should have punted and, and and not made the decision to cancel the season. It's like like my issue isn't even with that, because as they've done, you can always change your mind. My decision was you don't make a decision of this magnitude and then say nothing about it. Right. Right. Like like and, and that just fed the whole fervor of the media and the parents and the players and everything is just, there was just, there was no, there was nothing. Right. Didn't it was help. like, we made this decision and <laughs> yeah, you all, you guys all got to live with it. And, and look, it's a, it's a tough decision, but like, you got to stand there and face the music. Right. Um And so I, I don't know who made that decision that nobody was going to say anything, but to me that was, that, you're right. It didn't help anything, and it just made it worse. Yeah,
0: and you know, Warren should have uh, on that inter- that interview he did with Dave Rebson of the Big Ten Network on August 11th. It was a disaster. I think we both agree on that. I don't think he should have been alone there. I think it should have been. It should have been exactly like the Zoom call that happened on Wednesday morning, just this past Wednesday morning, when they were explaining the rollout, the new plan for for the updated season in the fall. You have. Not just Kevin Warren there. You have a medical expert. Maybe you have several other administrators, somebody representing the, the the presidents and chancellors, an athletic director. It really should have been, in my opinion, more of a panel than just Warren sitting out there all alone. Because uh, it, you know it wasn't his decision to make alone. It was, it was ultimately a decision of the presidents and chancellors. Now I will say, he's been lambasted and he's deserved. He, he's gotten his 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 fair share of the uh, criticism for the way that it was handled. Warren has. But I feel like he deserves a little bit of credit now for the way things have ended up now that the Big Ten is returning to play in October. Because I think very soon after that decision was made, well, in retrospect, you could tell that he had learned from his mistakes. One of the big criticisms he had gotten was that he had failed to coalesce all the key stakeholders in making this big decision. There were, there were reports that he was speaking separately to the, the presidents and chancellors and the athletic directors and didn't really bring them all together in making this huge decision. Well, shortly after the Big Ten announced that it was postponing and that whole disastrous press conference on the Big Ten Network, Warren put together this return to competition task force that represented had what no less than forty six key stakeholders from around the from around the Big Ten u- universities. We're talking chancellors and presidents. We're talking athletic directors and coaches. To, to me that said that he had learned from his mistakes or those reported mistakes that he failed to bring everybody together to make this decision so i think he deserves a little credit for this outcome in and bringing all those key stakeholders together there were subcommittees that represented health and safety and those protocols as well as scheduling and television and i think the plan that they rolled out on wednesday was actually pretty pretty impressive right we're It's pretty intriguing. We're going to get that eight plus one schedule. I really like that Champions Week idea that they've come up with. And they wasted no time getting back into the conversation on football Saturdays, releasing the new schedule yesterday on Fox Big Noon Kicks pregame show. So I'm going to give Warren a little bit. First, I'm going to cut him a little bit of a break. He's a first year commissioner dealing with the biggest crisis in conference history. He clearly had some flubs. But I think when he was given a second opportunity to get it right, it seems to me he did a pretty darn good job, and I'm going to give him a little bit of credit there.
1: Yeah, very, very fair. Totally agree, and and also very much agree with your point that you're going to cancel the season. You don't have the Big Ten commissioner, who, as you rightly pointed out, wasn't even his decision. <laughs> right. You know, go out there by himself, yeah, uh, and 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 make this uh, and do this press conference and make this announcement. So um co- completely agree with all that i i completely agree that you know he probably deserves a lot more credit than he's getting for where the big 10 is at this point right. um but i i i don't i don't think you can i don't i also don't think you can have this conversation about what has gone on in college football without noting just the complete and total abject failure of the NCAA as a <laughs> governing body once again <laughs> How do you not get the commissioners of all of college football together and go, guys, let's have one plan. Let's figure it out. Mm -hmm. You need to go back and talk to all your presidents. Let's do it. But let's have some consistency here Uh Uh, in terms of timing, in terms of announcements, in terms of what we want, in terms of different conferences want different things. That's fine. But like some level of consistency across college football and there was nothing. As far as I can tell, the NCAA has once again been completely devoid of any, anything having to do with this situation. And so you just ask yourself, why does it exist? Yeah. Why? And and what good is it doing? Mark Emmert, like whatever that guy makes a year, if he makes $10, <laughs> it's $10 too much. That guy should be fired. I,
0: I, I totally agree with you there. I think, yeah, well, once, once major college football removed the NCAA from its... Playoff that basically took the teeth uh, out of the NCAA, but I'm with you. I maybe that's a podcast for another day. They kind of sat on the sidelines there uh, while you know guys like Warren and the university presidents of the Big Ten and you know were taking all the fire and trying to figure this out on their own and and making decisions independent of one another. If you're talking about the the five FBS conferences, it was a mess and it's been a mess. And actually, if you look at the you look at the schools that are pressing on right now. It's it's been, it hasn't been pretty, right? We've got what, 15 game postponements or cancellations already. We're hearing stories of kind of rampant outbreaks on uh, within programs, lots of player opt outs. It's been a bit of a mess. It could have been done a lot cleaner, that's for sure. I don't know how close we are to having some new single governing body. Maybe you have more insight than yeah. I do on that, but uh, again, maybe a podcast for another day. <laughs>
1: uh, I, I, it is a podcast for another day. And a, yeah, I think that's exactly what it needed. It needed some leadership here across all of college football and we just didn't get anything from the NCAA. So, mm-hmm. and that's very typical of the NCAA. So again, I, I asked the question, why do we have it? Why do we need it? If, you, if you're not going to step up during an episode like this and provide leadership, then what's your point? Then why do you exist?
0: (laughs) Really good question. All right, Mr. Gallagher, yesterday on Fox's Big Noon Kick, the new schedule was revealed and I'm sitting here looking at Ohio State's schedule. Right now, eight scheduled games. There'll be a plus one at the very end, which we hope is going to be a Big Ten championship game. Ohio State's fourth in four years. That remains to be seen. Now, Paige and I have already done two separate... Game by game schedule breakdown podcasts. I'm not going to ask you to do that with me today. We've already kind of got that covered. What I would like you to think about as I go down the schedule, I want you to come up with your one concernometer score for the entire season. That is the question What is your level of concern that Ohio State can navigate the schedule I'm about to reveal undefeated? Ohio State opens the season October the 24th at home against Nebraska, who was utterly punished by the Big Ten schedule makers, by the way. October 31st at Penn State. Now that's notable. Pretty big game, only week two. Ohio State still working out the kinks. November 7th, home against Rutgers. November 14th at Maryland. We're looking at another uh, Rutgers-Maryland back-to-back this season. Last year it was reverse Maryland-Rutgers. Two snoozer games November 7th, November 14th, although – Talia Tungavailoa from Maryland, uh, their quarterback, was granted immediate eligibility, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe he can uh, make Maryland a little bit more of a threat in that game. November the 21st, Indiana at home. Indiana's played us pretty competitively over the years, the last seven, eight years. November 28th at Illinois, December 5th at Michigan State, and then December 12th, the regular season finale. Michigan comes to the shoe. December nineteenth would be the Big Ten title game. Before we dive into this schedule, Tim, give me your concernometer score.
1: You know it's pretty low. Um, you know I'm not that concerned about it. I think that there are some games on here. Obviously, like at Penn State, that 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 uh, uh, you know you look at and say, all right, you know that's that's not an easy game. Uh, it's not nearly the game it would be if there were fans in the stadium, right? But still, you got to go to Happy Valley and beat a very good James Franklin team you know, at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say it's like a three. Three. Okay. That's my exact score as
0: well. Three. Not not having to face the whiteout at Penn State. The other thing is the crossover games. Ohio State was supposed to have Iowa in the previous two iterations of this schedule. Iowa's played us very tough through the regular season under Kirk Ferentz. Uh, that's a pretty big subtraction from this schedule, and instead you get Nebraska, who you beat up on perennially, and then your other crossover game is at Illinois, which in Champaign can be a bit of a tricky game, especially late November. Those winds get swirling; it's kind of a wind tunnel there. You kind of you could force you to be one dimensional at Illinois. Lovey Smith's done a decent job there. I don't know, maybe no crowd, especially if it's a sleepy kind of like 11 a.m. Central kick. Maybe there's some. Some upset potential there, but but that I'm, I'm reaching now at this stage. You've got two games right here Michigan and Penn State. Really, those are your two kind of linchpin games for this schedule. I guess maybe if you're looking at the SEC playing a full 10 game conference slate, Ohio State's got to look good, they have to look good. They can't afford any sleepy, underwhelming performances on this schedule when you've got the SEC and we know how the playoff committee tends to give the SEC the benefit of the doubt. You've got to look impressive in virtual every week here, and you've got to win going away. But I'm with you. My concernometer meter score, three for this one. I think Ohio State can navigate this schedule pretty easily. This looks like as much of a cupcake schedule as you could possibly get in the Big Ten. I like Ohio State going undefeated and getting into the Big Ten title game, and then we'll see what happens there.
1: Yeah. I mean, my thoughts are, um, I Look, I think it is an easy schedule for somebody in the Big Ten East. Um, You know, I don't – I just don't think it's as big of a cupcake schedule as some people. Hmm. Um, You know, look, Nebraska's on the rise. Frost is a good coach. Um, You know, I I don't think that's going to continue to be the cupcake that it has been. They're going to continue to get better. Penn state's a bit of always a dogfight. fight. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you. The middle of the, the, the next couple games should be, should be sleepers. Um, you know, Indiana does always play us tough, but it's at home. And um, you know, by that time, you know, the offense and the defense should be fully rolling. So I don't think that's really a challenge, sort of the same with Illinois. Although I agree with you, it's a weird it's a weird time to be in Champaign, Lovey Brandon Peters, who has played well for Illinois mm-hmm. transferring from Michigan. And then, and then I don't know how Ohio state always ends up with this. Right. But how many years in a row now have they played Michigan state than Michigan, Penn state than Michigan? Like it's, <laughs> It, it, we always seem to have a couple of tough games right at the end, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know what to make of Michigan State. Uh, I don't know what, what Mel Tucker, uh, you know, can do up there in in one sort of shortened, crazy season. Um, but I know that they've got athletes, and I know that they have toughness and. They weren't who they usually are under D'Antonio the last couple of years, right? But he may be able to get more out of that team than D'Antonio was getting the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of look at it, and it's like, you know, yeah, there's definitely some easy games in here, but you can also make some arguments that there could be there could be a few tough ones. And so I don't think it's a hard schedule, but I don't think it's a cupcake schedule.
0: The Illinois matchup for me in the first two iterations of this schedule, when Paige and I went over the schedule, I had actually earmarked that. Uh, as a mild upset alert for Ohio State, because it's in Champaign, because of historically playing in that stadium, what that has been like for quality Ohio State teams. I don't have the numbers here in front of me, but some really good Ohio State teams have gone into that stadium and barely lived to tell about it. The 2006 Ohio State team that played in the national championship game, that was a very tight game. I remember it was also played in late November in lousy weather. That right off the top of my head, think also 2010 with that Terrell Pryor team that, that lost only once. That team went into Illinois and it was a very tight game and they weren't able to put the game away in the last two minutes. And, and I think Smith has done some good things there. I like Brandon Peters as a quarterback, as you've mentioned him already. They're coming off last season, that big upset win over Wisconsin. I think they had another big comeback win on the road against Michigan State last year as well. They came back from like a 24-point Deficit in that game. They they also had a big comeback against Michigan, which fell short. So that's a game to watch out for. I agree. And Mel Tucker, the only thing about Michigan State I would otherwise agree with you is not only are are they looking at a coaching change, they're replacing Brian Lewerke. Their defense is absolutely gutted with all their playmakers at at every level. I don't have all the the losses here in front of me. So that to me just it feels like there might be a little too much for Michigan State to overcome, but. The game's being played December 5th. They'll have some time to work out some kinks. It's a game they always seem to get up for. Then we get Michigan in the shoe. Uh, you know how I feel about the Michigan rivalry. I, <laughs> I need to see something on the field to believe that this is going to you know, turn back into a rivalry again. This game's in the shoe. Michigan hasn't won there in 20 years, but I, I tend to think Ohio State should, have a, should be able to win that game Uh, going away. Michigan's also replacing, I think, four or five starters on the offensive line, some playmakers uh, at wide receiver, Donovan Peoples-Jones, for instance. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, overall, concernometer meter for me, three. I like our chances, but would not be surprised if there's a a pitfall or two Ohio State's going to have to navigate.
1: Yeah. The the only other thing I would mention is, uh, uh, you know, the Illinois game, uh as you've as you pointed out, there's there's a whole bunch of things there. But the other thing is is that it is t- that's typically the Michigan weekend oh, and right. it's Thanksgiving.
0: Oh right. And yeah. so,
1: you know, are are you distracted over Thanksgiving and and other things going on that weekend and then you've got to go to sleepy champagne. And as you said, it's late November, it's windy, it's this, it's that, you know, <laughs> Illinois comes up with a big game and You're right. I don't don't really like that game very much at all. Um, And then, uh, and and then the Michigan game, you know, I mean, what can you say? I agree with you totally until I see something on the field. um, I just don't think they have a chance. Uh, The only thing I'll say about, about that game is, is that, is that the one thing that they will have going for them in that game is that there will not be 110,000 crazy people in the stand. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually going to help them.
0: Right. That's a good point.
1: I don't know if it's going to help him enough, but um, I think it's going to help him. And I also think uh, uh, Dylan McCaffrey's out, but who's the quarterback, the new quarterback that's starting I, this year?
0: It's so funny. I was just going to ask you the same question because his name escapes me. We saw a little preview of him in the 2018 game. He came in at garbage time, threw a touchdown. He also threw a an interception. Let me, let me look him up real quick. Joe Milton. Yes,
1: Milton. Yes, yes. Joe Milton. Uh, but he's, I actually think he's good. He's big. You know, he reminds me of, um, Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Big, strong can run, has a cannon. Um, obviously haven't seen him play a lot. And so don't know how good he really is at the position. Right. But I think he looks to be a a pretty solid quarterback.
0: I like that comparison on Fox's big noon kick yesterday. Urban Meyer and the guys were talking about Milton and Meyer. Even went so far as to compare him to uh, Cam Newton, just in terms of his physique. He's a big dude, like six five. And he, who knows? He he might be just the panacea for what what's ailed that uh, that Michigan offense against Ohio State. A big athletic quarterback who's a threat to run. I was also looking at the, another game on this schedule, which I've now forgotten. But Indiana was also a game that I had put Ohio State on upset alert. And it was because of Michael Penix Jr., that dual threat quarterback we didn't have to face last year. Now, I feel like I've been talking so much about Penix Jr. that I've turned him into like Michael Vick. But because Indiana has has played us so tough over the last seven or eight years, we, we are returning a young secondary. And we'll get into position battles in our next pod as we start hearing about those battles coming out of practice. I'm really looking forward to getting into that with you, Tim. But Ohio State is returning a mostly young secondary, save for Sean Wade. It's fairly early in the schedule, about midway through the schedule. Does a quarterback like Michael Penix Jr. or even Brandon Peters the following week against Illinois, do they have enough to victimize a, a relatively inexperienced secondary? Cam Brown, Seven Banks, Josh Proctor. We'll see. But those are games I would pay attention to. And if you're from the outside looking in, you're not very familiar with Big Ten football or you're not long in the tooth like we are. And remember what some of these rivalries have been like what some of these, you know, these matchups within the conference have been over the years. You're probably dismissing those games. But I, I tend to agree with you now. I think you've convinced me there there are some potential pitfalls in this schedule and it isn't exactly the the, the cakewalk that that it appears to be.
1: Well, and, and also, I mean, here's the other dynamic, right? Is Is that... Um, When you play a 13, 14 game schedule, um, the the way it's typically gone, right, is you start off with uh, with some cupcakes and maybe you've got the tough game in there of Oregon or something like that. But but for the most part, you're giving yourself a couple games of warm up, Mm -hmm. uh, which is allowing new players to get their feet wet. Um, You know, if if you're if you're going to play a game like Oregon early in the season, you can also suffer a loss. And and so and still and still potentially get yourself in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Ryan Day is facing neither of those realities. He's facing a reality where players have to be ready to go game one. Every game matters. And you have to go undefeated. If you lose a single game, you're out. Uh, And so there is no there is no, hey, let's let's get our feet wet and let's let's get let's get some of these new starters tuned up on, you know, uh, Bowling Green or whoever, right? Uh, they're stepping in day one to to Nebraska, and and you know game two, you know they're going right into Penn State. So uh, it really, it really changes the dynamic of the schedule. It does, um, or the, the 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 schedule changes the dynamic of the team. I guess is really what it is. Is just that there 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 are no cupcakes. There are no probably won't be too many, you know, games where they're playing half the game or only, you know, two quarters or something. Right. Uh, it, it really is where you've got to perform and you've got to go undefeated. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a different mentality. Not that Ohio state ever banks on being able to lose a game, but you do, you do sort of know, like it's almost, it is almost like we're and we are starting halfway through the season where, okay, if you start six and O at that point, you know, okay, I can't lose another game the rest of the season because the late loss kills you. And we're starting the season that way. And that is the whole season.
0: I was just thinking about something that Urban Meyer said yesterday on Big Noon Kick, which was if you're a coach, you're not going to have those early games, those early cupcake non-conference games to play younger players and build out your depth. You're going to have to rely on your veteran players probably a little bit more than you want to through most of this schedule you may not have some of the depth you would otherwise have toward the end of the season. I thought that was a really interesting point that he made there.
1: It's very true. Everyone's going to get a little bit less playing time. Uh, you know, unless unless Ohio State gets up big in a few of these games and then they can get some of these guys in.
0: Yeah. Do you think they make it through this eight day? I, I'm not concerned about Ohio State, by the way. I, I feel like I would be stunned if there was a one week shutdown at any point during the season or if any key players are shut down for three weeks because of infection i don't know about some of their opponents though so my question is do you think they get through this eight game schedule or do you think there'll be a cancellation or two because of a a, one of their opponents not being able to make it through unscathed with the coronavirus
1: yeah it's a really good question um uh i look i think it's 50 50 i think uh I think clearly of all the teams in the big 10 Ohio state has the most to play for. And I think you'll see the seriousness out of programs like, like Michigan, like Penn state, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, probably like Wisconsin. Um, but, you know, do some of these other programs who, you know, aren't really vying for a national championship or to go to uh you know, go to the playoffs or to go to a big bowl game, if they have them, like, are they, are all of those players, all 85 of those players, really going to take it as seriously? Mm. Probably not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like I'm looking at that that Michigan State game on the 5th. Normally, you know, a game you have to respect, but new coach, new roster, and a lot of key positions. If you're, you know, 1-6 and six by December 5th, you know, how many of those players, as you say, are taking it seriously? Do we see a slip up and, and all of a sudden that game doesn't happen? Now, does it matter if that game doesn't happen? If you, if you get through Penn State and Michigan, you look impressive in doing it, and then you, you face a Wisconsin or an Iowa win impressively in the Big Ten title game, a post like that probably isn't going to hurt you. So, and as you say, the Penn States, the Michigans, whoever they face in the Big Ten title game are, are a good bet to take the protocols as seriously as Ohio State So maybe it's not that big of a deal if they have one or two cancellations. It's going to be a very interesting playoff debate, isn't it? I mean, I think probably the most hotly debated playoff that we're maybe ever going to see.
1: It is. It is. And it it really is going to be interesting because this could be the first time in a long time that we actually have seen a number of teams go undefeated. I mean, imagine you've got maybe five or six teams that are undefeated. Right how do you, how do you resolve that? And one team's played nine games and the other team's played six. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to probably be, you know, very frustrating for a lot of fans. Um, but it usually works itself out, which is how we all sort of get there with the process. But um, this year it may not, and it is going to come down to a bit more of a subjective uh, you know, subjective decision by, by certain people. Right. Uh, which is always rife for, for argument. Um, but, you know, look, the other thing about the schedule that I'll say that I, I actually think I'd like um, is, you know, I think every year we sort of lament the fact that, you know, Ohio state really ends its season the first weekend of December, you know, with the big 10 championship game. And then it's got, you know, three plus weeks before it plays again. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think this schedule plays into the Big Ten's hands a little bit and that it's the two weeks are perfect. I agree. Uh, you know, allows guys to get allows guys to get healthy. You're still sharp after the Big Ten championship game, but gives it, a little, it gives you a little bit of rest. Um, and then you're you know, you're into the playoffs. I actually think that is a better schedule than ending early and sitting around for three or four weeks.
0: I, I'm totally with you. The other thing is it could be a test case for the eventual eight game playoff where one would think if yes. the field does expand to 8 you're going to utilize those 3 or 4 weeks between championship week and bowl you know season to add you know extra playoff games so this this should be a, a good test case for that i've always hated the 3 or 4 or 5 so, i mean you know back in 2006 we we sat almost 7 weeks between the end of the michigan the michigan game and and the big the uh, national championship game when we got housed by florida I've never really liked that big, long delay. And it didn't seem that there was any reason for it. I guess maybe the kids are having finals, so you forget their students, and finals are happening during that period somewhere around there. So that's something they'll have to navigate. But it seems to me that that's something that could easily be
1: worked around. I, I am hopeful that that you know if Ohio State makes it, that that walk should be something in its in its advantage to uh... To be a little sharper at that point of the season.
0: I'm with you there. Yeah, I'm with you there. And hey, I welcome the playoff debate. I mean, considering where we were just a week ago, not even sure that the Ohio State was going to play and that they would even be in the playoff discussion. Give me that debate all day long. I'm here for it. I'm happy that Ohio State's going to be in it.
1: It's great to have Ohio State football back, but it's, uh, you know, again, kind of getting back to what we first talked about uh i'm hanging my hat on the fact that the people that needed to mainly the, the medical people did their work and they figured out how to do this safely uh and if that's the case then everybody wins we get football and the kids are safe
0: 100 percent agreement with you all right tim well hey thanks again for making the time it was great to be with you today and we'll speak again in about a week sounds good all right buddy take care you've been listening to the south stands a buckeye football podcast You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.